The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day. way to start the show. It's ah. a jingling, jangling kind of tune. <laughs> it is that time of the year again, folks. It's the magic time. It is indeed. In fact, it's time for our fourth annual... Fourth? Fourth. Can you believe that? Damn. Very special Christmas episode of the Rips and Rants yes. podcast. Yes. And of course, we started it off with a very appropriate 
uh, lead into what we're about to do here. That, of course, was uh, Billy Squire doing Christmas is a Time to Say I Love You. It was uh, released way back in 1981 as the B-side of My Kind of Lover, the third single uh, from his monster, monster mm -hmm. second solo album, Don't Say No. He was riding the wave yep. at the end of 1981. He really was. He was killing it. And uh, as usual, <laughs> we have a little agenda with our opening jam. We do. It's uh, tongue-in-cheek. It's sarcastic. Which, like, for me it's personally, are so two words that us. go yeah. with Christmas now. So. <laughs> you go. Ah. Yeah, so in short, folks, uh, to ah. open up tonight's episode, we feature the return of the, the Riffs and Rants players. The Gift of the Magi. As told by the Riffs and Rants players, based on the famous 1906 Christmas short story by O. Henry. Susan Smith Jones was a Democratic senator of some renown, famous for being a champion of liberal causes. A firebrand at the podium, she could sway public opinion like saplings on a blustery day. Her husband, Jonathan Jones, also a United States senator, was equally powerful in all matters of government, albeit from a conservative perspective. Despite their differences, they were very much in love, and as always, looked forward to the holiday season and Christmas, an opportunity to express that love in a unique and thoughtful way. This year was no different, and oddly enough, they were thinking along similar lines in their gifts for each other. So, Susan, what amazingly eclectic present are you planning for John this year? Asked her colleague, Tabitha. Since you asked, Tabby, I'm going on a whole new door this year. We're not getting any younger, and it's time to start thinking about our retirement. Surely you're not concerned about making ends meet, are you? Your, your benefits are paid for life. There's your pension, speaking engagements. Oh yes, I know all that, but I want us to live very well in our golden years. Susan replied. Just between us girls, I've been approached by someone, somewhat of a lobbyist for a Zippo coin, and they've made an interesting proposal which would be available to me if I should vote a certain way on a certain piece of legislation before the Senate. Oh, Susan, I don't like the sound of this at all. Which legislation? Asked a wary Tabitha. It's, um, it's the uh, assault weapons ban. Susan replied. A shocked Tabitha then blurted out, You must be joking. You yourself have worked tirelessly to bring this bill along. You can't seriously do an about-face this late in the game. Your, your reputation will be ruined. I know, I know, but this individual is acting as a go-between for the gun lobby and has their own separate agenda. I will simply abstain from voting. I'll cite health reasons or some nonsense. Tabitha, they're offering me over 200 million pieces of Zippo coin, and from what I've heard, this is the investment of the future. John and I can enjoy the rest of our lives together and never have to work again. On the other side of town, Jonathan Jones sits in a small office with his friend Alex. Al, you're not going to believe what I'm getting Susan for Christmas this year. Dinner with Alec Baldwin? Oh, witty Alex asked. Funny, funny. No, seriously, take a guess. John replied. That's pretty hard considering you have everything two people could want. Money, fame, power. Perhaps, but what I what if I told you 
I have the opportunity to acquire 300 acres of prime land in Texas to do, well, whatever I want with. Cattle ranching or farming, drilling. Alex, cut him off. Wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Did you say drilling? You know this administration put the kibosh on that. It's a pipe dream at best. And you don't know squat about ranching or farming. But humor me, how are you able to get your hands on that land? Alex asked. Well, I've, I've been approached by someone who works for someone who needs a legislative favor, and honestly, I'm considering it. You, Captain America, champion of ethics and a frequent Fox newscast, are you considering a bribe? Jonathan took a serious tone and said, Alex, I've done everything I can to advance our party's agenda, sometimes by sacrificing my own morals in the process. This is no different. Only this time, it's for me and Susan. And when something's done out of love, can it ever be wrong? Alex was incredulous. I can't believe I'm even entertaining this conversation, John. So tell me, which legislation is it? It's the assault weapons ban. <laughs> I know, I, I see that look. Yes, it's the one I've been railing against on TV and in the papers for months now. I think it's heavy-handed and reactionary, but it's so tight that if I was not to vote for some reason, it would probably pass. And then Susan and I would have the rest of our lives, well, to enjoy our little slice of Texas. That night at dinner, Susan and Jonathan spoke about the usual things. Family, friends, and of course, work. One topic that was almost awkwardly absent, however, was their feeling on the pending assault weapons ban. In the days and weeks that followed, both made their deals with the devil and convinced themselves that what they had done was simply a means to an end. A selfless, loving, vastly rewarding end. The assault weapons ban came up for ratification, and two very odd things happened, at least in the opinion of the general public. Susan Smith-Jones was surprisingly absent with only her immediate staff being told minutes beforehand that she would not be in attendance. Jonathan Jones dramatically changed his stance on the legislation and swung his vote in favor of it. The deadlocked Senate then looked to the vice president, a Democrat, who broke the tie and ratified the legislation. The assault weapons ban had passed. Looking to ride out the expected fallout, both Susan and Jonathan stayed out of sight during the winter break. In this time, they were able to explain to each other what had happened and the ramifications they thought they were ready to face. What they couldn't face, however, was each other and stomach the weaknesses and stupidity that had taken hold of them. They resigned from their respective seats in disgrace and divorced shortly thereafter. That was not, however, to be the final sad note in this symphony of dishonesty. Within a few days, amidst the media frenzy they had created, two other news stories of a lesser stature seemed to almost slip noticed altogether. One was the collapse of the largest Bitcoin brand, ZippoCoin, due to fraud and negligence and a possible Ponzi scheme of epic proportions. The other was that huge tracts of land in Texas with drilling leases had been falsely surveyed and had zero chance of yielding any tangible oil reserves. Both cases were part of larger investigations by the FBI concerning influence peddling, 
that had been going on for months and were expected to yield indictments by Christmas Eve. Ho, 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 the end. gentlemen the riffs and rants players yes they are yes. in fine form as indeed, always indeed excellent job michael on the thank narration you, there you, and it and it has to be said the adaption was done by johnny teflon some some stellar writing on on uh, part of my, my partner uh, here flex my literary chops every yeah, now and again yeah well johnny enlighten us where where what was the source material on this? Where did this come from? Well, I tell you what. For those who were not familiar, um, the Gift of the Magi is, is a timeless tale that, uh, as you said in the opening, O. Henry right. wrote it. I believe it was nineteen oh six or nineteen oh eight. Okay. And it was one of those things that they always um, made us read in school growing up. Right. And the basic original story has a husband and a wife, both of which have no money. They're mm-hmm. kind of just starting out. Yeah. And the wife has very long, beautiful hair that she's very proud of, and she combs it every night or does her best, you know, to keep it up. Yeah. And the husband's like an accountant or a clerk somewhere yeah. uh, who has a beautiful watch. So the wife comes up with the idea that she will sell her hair in order to get some money to buy the husband uh, a nice chain for yeah. his watch, okay. which was old regaire back in the day. Right, right. And the husband at the same time decides that he will sell his watch to get his wife a nice ivory comb that he saw in the store window oh for her goodness. beautiful hair. Wow. So again, it's a pure, loving story fit for the holiday season. Right, right. And the, the moment where they give each other their now like useless gifts at the end yep. is probably the base coat for every single K's jewelry commercial or the Lexus when they come out with the bow in the yep, car. Yep. It's where these these stories come from. Yeah, so many of these stories, the fairy tales, and and I mean the, the hair thing is a classic element yeah. of of these tales. You know, um, the morality plays. Yeah, you know, they're always morality plays mm-hmm. at the end or or, or the running theme. Yep. You know, and it's it's very interesting in that respect. But it's uh, it's it's bittersweet, you know, because again, they, these these gifts they've sacrificed so much. Yeah, um, are just so selfless, and thus the title "Get to the Magi." Right. We had to do our little riffs and rants twist on it. Our, our version <laughs> of. You know? Not that we're overly cynical, but we are. Okay. <laughs> And when I set out to do this, there were uh, a, a couple uh, stories or fables that were in the running. We decided yep. to go with this one yep. because this one availed us the opportunity to, like we always endeavor to do, call it down the middle and skewer both sides equally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this 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 uh, definitely strikes a chord with me because I'm one of those people that really does uh, struggle with and have an issue with the rampant, like on nuclear steroids materialism of the holiday. You know, I, under, yep. I understand the, 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 the economics behind it and the necessity of, but it's still, you know, it's a bitter pill to swallow. It, yeah. tr- it truly is. I mean, in, in today's world, there, there are people that covet the things they see in the store window, yeah. and there's people that want to buy the damn store. Yeah. Okay, And then yeah. in this case, here we have two politicians that could really represent any number of actual people that we see on the news all no the time. Doubt, no doubt. Getting themselves in trouble, again, like we see on the news all the time, mm-hmm. with two very uh, topical um, baits, if you will. Yep. The uh, 
the pipe dream that is Bitcoin oh, on one side. Jesus, cryptocurrency. And then, of course, everybody always wants land, but nowadays land always seems to come with a bit of a, of a caveat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, and of course it's always easy to see in retrospect, but in the case of crypto, I wasn't looking at this in retrospect. I, from the very beginning, it was like, if this shit seems too good to be true... It is. It is. <laughs> It is. And in this case, you know, you could start listening to the, to the story as I wrote it from a perspective of, wow, this is almost like your standard Greek tragedy, mm-hmm. because here are two very successful, you know, they allude to being like self-made people, yeah. and yet... It's not enough. It's not enough, and that's their undoing. Now, yep. they might try and cloak it under the auspice of love, which right. is pure and justified, yep, yep. but in reality... It's greed. Total greed. Yes. And this, again, is something we see all too often in the hallowed halls of government. Yeah. It's like a fever, yeah. you know, that grips him, you know? I mean, the, again, the, the whole thing with, you know, crypto, you know, we had states that were, you know, suggesting that we turn our, you know, our, our country's currency to crypto, right. and it's like, <laughs> these people are... Fucking losing it, yeah. you know. It's like, wait a minute. And now, in in reality, we're seeing that it not only is it something that most people really didn't understand, but now that their money's gone poof and in a puff of smoke, yeah, they're scrambling to figure out how to a get the money back or b even prosecute the people that have hoodwinked oh, them. Oh yeah, it's it's very much <laughs> it, very much similar to the 08 crash in that. These people broke laws that haven't been written yet. Right. You know, and it's like, how do we get this? It's obviously this massive fraud here someplace. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we how do we narrow it down? Right. You know, and, and quite honestly, in the case of that idiot from FTX, Sam mm-hmm. SBF, whatever, <laughs> you know, the feds better hurry because if they lag on this, somebody's going to take that clown out. Oh, totally. You don't make $10 billion disappear without... Maybe incurring a few enemies. Sure. A few people pissed off at you. And especially you know? if this kid was, heavens to Betsy, laundering money yeah. with this whole scheme. Yeah, based in the Bahamas. Hello. Right. Warning. Somebody, yeah, somebody Warning. Come knocking on his door and the rest of those drugged out losers. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, could this kid be more full of shit? You He's know, just with a the weird bullshit, just a baggy, weird screwy hair image of, yeah, you know. Yeah. Really? People bought into this? You know, and I mean, how many times do we have to see this, you know, these, these, these monstrous returns mm-hmm. that, I mean, just in and of themselves, that's bullshit, you know? How many yeah. times are people going to fall for this shit before we learn? Well, just like our, patri- our protagonist in the story, Indeed. there's been very bright people who've made a lot of money that were investing in this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you could... Look at the other side of the coin, too, with this land in Texas with these oil leases. We keep hearing that there's all these leases for drilling available. <laughs> and do yeah. you really mean to tell me that Exxon, for example, or Mobile is going to pass on anything that might turn a dime? Right. So, again, somebody's full of shit. Yeah. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. No doubt about it. Take a, take a step back and look at the big picture, folks. You yeah. Know? So our gift to you vis-a-vis this little morality tale is don't be stupid. Yeah. There's our gift to you, wrapped up on a nice red bow under your tree or manure yeah. or whatever, folks. Don't be stupid. Yeah, and, and something <laughs> something that, that, you know, I always tell the younger folks uh, that I work with in our alternative reality day mm-hmm. jobs, you know, if you sense that something's wrong, go with it because probably something wrong 
Indeed. You know? <laughs> ah, trust your instincts. Sure. So that was our heavy-duty opening segment for this episode. And now, of course, we find ourselves uh, waiting for a middle gem. Middle gem time. Perhaps something think... a little more... Whimsical, uh, Whimsical, yes, yes. Yes, this actually is a little, uh, little dose from Johnny's childhood, folks. Oh, don't scare them now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Michael is absolutely correct, and that is how I described it to him. Because for me, uh, average red-blooded American male youth... I loved this song as a kid because it combined two of my favorite things, war and Christmas. There we go. And this, of course, is Snoopy versus the Red Baron. Nice. So we're going to play this song for you, and we'll be back in a couple minutes to tell you a little bit about it and move right on into the next segment. Stay tuned.
too. That was fun, man. That was that was really like bringing you back to your childhood sure. stuff. That was and I mean, stuff. even starting with the bombardment sounds and the machine guns. Yeah. And it, it's just cute and it always works because, of course, anybody that follows the Peanuts comic strip knows that yep. Snoopy always fashions himself a World War I fighter pilot. Yeah. And as I had said to you in, in the pre-show, I am such an uber nerd and always have been <laughs> that as, uh, as a result of that song, I think one of the first... Um, you know, they make you do those biographies when you're in elementary yep. school, pick yep. somebody famous. Uh-huh. One of the first ones I did was Baron Von Richthofen, the, the Red Baron. Oh, Red yep. Baron. What yeah. kind of psycho nerd kid, <laughs> like age eight, is, is handing that in to the teacher, right? Oh, is it Charles Manson taken? And if I think about <laughs> it, my, my eclectic mix of those first, like, four of those I had to do, I remember every one of them. Yeah. I think the Red Baron was first. Then I did Roger Staubach, because he was just big back then. Yep. Um, Harriet Tubman, and right. Amelia Earhart. So it was definitely that, that flying thing that yeah. was in there. Well, there's, a, there's an element of, of wonder, you know, from that age yep. um, that, you know, unfortunately, reality tends to beat out of you. Yep. But to this day, you know, I'll confess, I still like going back and watching those claymation uh, oh, Christmas specials yes. and stuff. Because, yeah, it, it reminds you of that... that simplistic uh, perspective that you had when you were a kid, that wonderment yep. of, you know, the pageantry of Christmas. Well, allow me know? to ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> Just not, not totally ruin, but if, if you go back for a chuckle and to yep. our listening audience, if you're watching them now, take a look at all the fingers of the little characters. Yeah. All their hands are dirty. <laughs> and it's just no. from, yes, it's something that Rankin Bass, who produced these things, yeah. It was all stop motion. So every time they had to go in and move the little digits and whatnot, they would leave dirt behind from their hands onto these little clay puppets. Right. And again, as a kid, you would never notice this. Yep. But even in uh, the first one, the Rudolph, take a look at that little LGBTQ elf. I forget his name, <laughs> the one that wants to be the dentist. <laughs> let's, let's call him Chris Chrisley. Her- Herbie. Or Wasn't Todd Chrisley. Yeah, yes, Herbie. Um, yeah, look at his little hands. They're so dirty. And it's oh, like, he doesn't touch man, anything, man, right? That's funny. And I, wow. I, it dawned on me years later watching a making of, and yeah. they had to keep coming in every two seconds, move them, move them. Because, look, I've done it. And stop animation, stop yeah. motion animation is a bitch. Oh, man. Because you got to keep going here. It's hot lights on everything. Half these puppets probably melted, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, so take a look at it now. Wow. Look at the dirty hands ah. of the puppets. There you go. Little Merry gift. Christmas. Little, little gift there. <laughs> And if that isn't soiling the holiday enough... One unused prophylactic, one soiled. Indeed. Our subtopic tonight, yes. uh, totally gratuitous, Yep. as usual, is um, our top three favorite non-traditional Christmas movies. Yeah. Now, we say non-traditional because in recent years, and we won't give away anything just yet, there's been a, a few movies, many of which are action movies, yep. that people have, have resolved themselves to consider them holiday favorites yeah. because of when they took place yeah. within the movie. Funny how the connections are made. It's totally. Like, you know, this wasn't designed to be, or, or nobody had absolutely any intention of connecting it to a holiday, yep. any holiday, let alone Christmas, mm-hmm. and yet the public did that. Sure. You know, the association <laughs> thing, you know, because this character was wearing a, a you know, a Santa hat or whatever right. at, at this particular point in time. It's it's almost like if you make the effort, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, but if you just you lay it out, it just happens to take place over, you know, the holiday season and whatnot, right. then people make the connection for you. Exactly. And all the good, uh, the good stories have been taken. You yeah. know, Miracle on 34th Street, 
done. Yep. You know, yep. Scrooge, done. Yep. Give us something different. And in this case, it just happened to come with a war machine gun. <laughs> now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. In some yes. of the cases, not all, but some. Yes. So on that note. On that note. Would you like to start us off, sir? Absolutely. All right. Now, folks, we're going to warn you. This might give a lot of insight into how Michael and I think. Oh, to the this psychology day. thing. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anywho. Um, number three, I'm going to go with the obvious choice and get it out of the way quickly. All right. Uh, the low hanging fruit, as you like to say it. Uh, Die Hard. Send in the car. Yes. From 1988, of course, the, uh, the Bruce, Bruce Willis tour de force. I like to focus on the less obvious performances, or maybe it wasn't less obvious, uh, the late, great Alan Rickman. Oh, God you know, bless him. Yep. Cr- creating one of the greatest cinema villains of all time in Hans Gruber. Yep. Uh, Got to give a shout out to uh, William Atherton, who played, of course, Richard Thornburg, the media <laughs> douchebag. <laughs> you know, you talk about a guy who just, you know, unfortunately. Same character every yeah, movie. Yeah, it was typecast, you know. <laughs> The only film where he wasn't a dick was Pelican Brief, you know, where he was okay. kind of a respect. I think he was the head of the CIA at the time, All right. which is, you know, when you think about it, just a wee bit douchey. But, uh, but boy, he nailed that that character. He did it so well. You yeah. know, you find yourself like loathing and hating a character. You've got to stop and recognize the fact that the actor did his or her job, yep. you know, in eliciting that reaction from him. And, you know, for those of you at home who like, well, what else was he in? Well... He was the EPA guy in Ghostbusters, yes. who made him shut down a the, the ground, right? Classic douchebag, yes. He was also, um, let's see, we were in Die Hard, we got Ghostbusters. He was the somewhat uh, corrupt professor from Real Genius right. that had Val Kilmer working on weapon systems and whatnot <laughs> and taking all the credit for it. Right. Yeah, and, and other bit parts here and there. He was always just not a likable dude. Yeah, he nailed it. You know, that's, yep. a, that's a sign of a, of a talented actor. Yeah. You know, that he happened to be talented <laughs> in... You know, being a D-bag, fine, but, I mean, it's a talent, you know? And look, so, if you're an unlikable cuss, you might as well do it for money. Absolutely. So, yeah, shout out to William Atherton. Good job, man. And, uh, and of course, yeah, Die Hard, the whole yep. crew. You know, a, a fun movie, quite yeah. honestly. A fun and I'm glad movie. you went with that one first, because, yeah, that sums up the whole thing we're going for. Yep. Die Hard was not meant to be a Christmas movie. No. However... There are some that say, you know, the holiday season has not begun until <laughs> Hans Gruber falls from Nak- Nak- Nakatomi yeah. Tower. Yep. You know, they even make advent calendars now with him at the top of a tower. And every no day he kidding. drops a notch yeah. until he falls to the ground. Oh, and it's wow, like that's Christmas. crazy. Well, you know the story behind that, right? Yes, you were told. Yeah, me. yeah. It was like, we're going to drop you now and on, on three. Right. And then they dropped him on two. <laughs> so the reaction you see is the honest reaction of Alan Rickman going, holy shit. Yep. You know, and down we go. You know, so. Movie magic, baby. Indeed. So what do you got, Johnny? Well, my number three, it's on a comical slant. And it's something that I've used in my little incarnations and DJing live and whatnot. I've always had a habit of, of playing quotes from movies. Yeah. Uh, even folks that listen to the show know that I still Probably do Probably picked it. up on that, yeah. And one of my favorite quotable movies is Bad Santa with Billy Bob Thornton. Nice. I've seen some pretty shitty situations in my life, but nothing has ever sucked more ass than this. And when he's like shooing the kids along, he's like, move along, goddammit, this ain't the DMV. <laughs> Just like, I would play that when my like karaoke singers were taking forever to get to the stage, you know? <laughs> Just nice. to create a hostile environment. Absolutely. But the movie's so funny, and it's one of those characters that, that Billy Bob, you know, like him or not, 
was just born to play. Yeah. You know, he was like, in that case, he was like the modern Walter Matthau. Very much The so. whole remake of Bad News Bears was a swing and a miss, mm-hmm. but he, he nailed it with Bad Santa. Yeah. Yeah, that was good stuff. That was, that was fun. And yep. yeah, yeah. Props to Billy on that one. He nailed that. Yes, sir. So that's my number three. <laughs> good call. All right. Well, uh, for number two, I'm going to go with something. I don't know if it's if it's necessarily obscure, but obviously it's been a few years. Okay. But uh, I want to uh, give a nod to the 1999 film Go, which All right. again takes place over the Christmas holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, great scene that I remember crystal clear to this day. <laughs> and that's you saying know. something, folks. Yeah, yeah. A lot of <laughs> lot of chemicals <laughs> have gone through the system since then. But uh, when they open up on Timothy Oliphant, mm-hmm. you know, and and. As usual, and as you would expect, I'm pulling for the drug dealer. You know, he's my he's my boy. But uh, you know, first scene, you know, he's sitting on the couch, you know, no shirt on. He's got the the Santa hat on. And right. It's just like perfect, perfect. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Timothy Timothy Oliphant tour de force is the antihero drug dealer. Uh, Katie Holmes at her most cutest. Um, actress Sarah Polly as run of the supermarket chick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a, a one of a slew of movies that very much took the took their cues from Quentin Tarantino and Pulp Fiction. Right. You know, with the the layer after layer after layer of storylines that intersect. But this is a, one of the films that did it very very well. William Finchner in probably the weirdest role he has ever played, uh, with the cop that you know greets Jay Moore and uh, and and I forget what the actor's name is. Partner. You know, they open the door and the dude's standing there naked, and it's just like. <laughs> Awkward moment, Awkward. you know, and uh, yeah, just a just a, a crazy, crazy tale. Um, it'd take too much time to explain it because, again, it's such a layered <laughs> film. But you know, you want to give yourself a treat. You want to go for mm-hmm. one of these unconventional holiday movies. Look up Go. You know, nineteen ninety nine. Good stuff. Gotcha. All right, might just do that. As a matter All of fact, right. yeah. Just never get new viewing uh, recommendations. Yeah. So what you got for our number two, John? Well, my number two. Uh, once again, I went the comedy route. Okay. Because I don't, uh, it's it's one of those movies that's on all through the year, yeah. And you realize like, wow, this is kind of a Christmas story, yeah. And uh, I'm gonna go with the movie Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd yes. and um, yes. Eddie Murphy. Uh, you know, a twist on the classic tale of the Prince and the Pauper. Yep. Um, just funny as shit, and it's one yeah. of those things that there's so many talented actors and actresses. Yep. In this movie, it's one of those that gets funnier every time you watch it, just because the nuances of, of the performances. Oh yeah, and you know, like Dan Aykroyd dressed as Santa after he gets mugged, and he's <laughs> yeah. like eating a raw steak. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he gets as, as low as low could possibly be. Oh yeah, and thankfully the story has, has a happy ending. So yeah. that there's that. You and know. that was a time, you know, where where people in our dare I say it age group mm-hmm. uh, remember Eddie Murphy oh, at, just at the yes. peak of his his talent where he could do school. no wrong yeah yeah and uh, just funniest just yep. funny I and mean, if you go back there's like I say well obviously Jamie Lee Curtis had a yep, starring yep, role in great, it great great role for her too um, Denholm Elliott plays the butler who normally was like Indiana Jones's yep. sidekick yep. on that then you've got um, who was the two old men it was Ralph Bellamy not Ralph Bellamy. Yeah, Ralph Bellamy. Yeah. And not Sid Caesar, the other guy. The Oh, wow, escapes me. Yeah. But two veteran Oh, yeah. Well, it kind of reminds you of the two old guys from The Muppets. You remember oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yep. And I just remember the scene, you know, with Eddie Murphy. You know, he's finally graduated to, you know, a level. Who's putting the cools out on my carpet? You right. know, that's <laughs> absolutely hilarious. Yep. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's my number two. Good and I, I loved call. the fact that they actually did a nod to that. 
in the movie Coming to America, yeah, where he gives the money to the two bums, and it's those two brothers <laughs> from yeah, yes. the trading places. Nice, nice continuity. Nice, yeah. And you know, a nod to the quality of the film that to this day it's hilarious, yeah. absolutely hilarious. So. Now, before you do your your number one spot, yes. do you have a an also rant? You always have an alternate. I, I know I, you. I, I frequently do, and there were there were a lot of different different films that I considered um, for that, but mm -hmm. for once I decided to just stay on Streamline topic. It. Nice. Stay on target. Stay on target. <laughs> Almost there. Yeah, yeah. Johnny is a Star Wars buff, by the way, folks. <laughs> you know, typical of the two of us and how we roll. Uh, Johnny Star Wars, I'm Star Trek. You of know, course. That's the way that works, but... Uh, <laughs> I find your lack of faith disturbing. But it doesn't mean I don't I don't love, you know, Star Wars. I do, and that was that was a moment. But anyway, uh getting to my number one, one of my favorite films of all time, and just a, a noir to the hilt, uh, obviously heavily influenced by Chinatown, which was an all time classic. Of course, I am talking about the 1997 film L.A. Confidential, mm -hmm. which the very beginning of the film, it starts off on Christmas Eve. Yep. That's when all the plot points are laid down. You know, that's when all the characters are established. Um, and just an unbelievable cast. Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, Kim Basinger, uh, Jimmy Cromwell. You know, any film mm. that's got Danny DeVito in it yeah. is going <laughs> to rock, you know? Uh, and, of course, he who shall not be named, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> and, <laughs> and not to forget David Strand. And and obviously, you know, it appeals to me because it's Los Angeles and I right. spent a better part of my life out there. And just a just a just great, great film from beginning to end. You know, just not a flaw in the right, entire right. film. And I believe Kim Basinger got an Oscar nod on that one. Yeah. Uh, a very well-deserved Oscar nod. Certainly, it was best and work. But like you said, there, there were so many stars in that movie. Oh, yeah. It could have been, a, a, and it was, like a vehicle for any number of them. Yep. You know? yep. Absolutely. Certainly, Spacey and Crow stood out. Yeah. As did um, the other fellow's name. Went on a bunch of stuff. The young, up-and-coming... Guy Pierce. Yes. Yeah. yes. yeah. Another Aussie, you know? Yeah. And yeah. It, it's <laughs> so cool, because you hear the guy talking like interviews, and you would never know. Yeah. That he's Australian. And why you know? is it every other nationality can do an American accent so easily, I but know. we can't nail theirs? Nope. I know. What the, I mean, I come know. on. That is not a two-way street <laughs> for whatever reason. But uh, but yeah, that the whole film just from the opening opening segment really does have that holiday feel to sure, it. Sure, sure. You know, and you know, I mean, a feel good moment when Russell Crowe is beating the shit out of the wife beater. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> yep. Like that establishes Russell Crowe as. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool dude, you know? This is the guy who's going to go on to be Gladiator, you yep, know? Indeed. Yeah. Seeds were planted. Uh, good film for any time of the year, but particularly poignant around Christmas. All right. Well yeah. done. Well so what you got, done. John? What you got for your number one? Well, uh, before I hit my number one, I'll go with my, my alternate. Okay. Because neither one of them screams Christmas. Right. But um, my alternate is yet another <laughs> comedy. Um, better Off Dead. You have Christmas in France? All right. A John Cusack vehicle from, I think, 86 or 87. A comedy called Better Off Dead. Right. <laughs> Which right there, again, like, like our parable this evening, yes. it deals with teen suicide. So it's some circles it's hard to laugh and at. And this was a comedy, folks. Right. Yeah. Brought to you by Savage Steve Holland. And it's one of those movies that is, is so endeared by children of the 80s because it is funny as shit and it yeah. holds up to this day yeah but for whatever reason john cusack detests the movie and wants nothing to do with really? it really yes 
he hates the fact that he ever did it and yada yada yada. No kidding. And it's just like it, I don't know why because it's it's just so good. Yeah, and <laughs> and you know that whole '80s film genre of vibe was Cusack's wheelhouse. Yeah, you know that's when he just established and this was his himself. first like solo you know vehicle. Yeah, and um, yeah, it does. The whole story takes place around Christmas time. And one of the funniest scenes is uh, the lady across the street with her son, little Ricky, <laughs> and they've got this little French girl, foreign exchange student, staying with them, yeah. and they're unwrapping presents, and she's like, do you have Christmas in France? And she squeezes her little cheeks, Christmas. <laughs> oh, and man. she opens up the present, and it's a picture of the fat kid, Ricky, that she's already <laughs> living with. So that's that. That was my, that was my also ran. Nice. But my, uh, my unconventional... Christmas favorite is a um, oft-forgotten action flick from I'm gonna say mid '90s yeah. called Reindeer Games. Okay, and yes, it starred Gary Sinise in yeah. a villainous role, which he was outstanding. He at. nailed villain roles. Yeah, and um, I believe Charlize Theron was in it. Was in one of her early roles. Wow, and Ben Affleck, who actually acted his way out of a, out of a paper bag, it was well done. Nice. And again, it's um. Almost like a B-side of, of Die Hard, because it's right. got that feel to it. Right. But again, Gary Sinise steals the show, because he is so friggin' menacing in this. Yeah. Like, remember when uh, in Forrest Gump, when he was Lieutenant Dan, and yeah. he was all like a, like a bum with the leather jacket and the bottles all over with the paper bags? Yeah. It's like that, but walking around. <laughs> and I think they had him like black out some of his teeth and stuff. He so is they like let him have legs in this one. Yeah, okay. but he is a greasy, menacing dude yeah. in this, yeah. and it just pulls it off so well. And it's kind of like Ben Affleck's got to help them rob this casino, or they're gonna kill him. Right. You know? Right. It's 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 kind of a drag because Gary Sinise, you know, for anybody that is paying attention. You know, he's a very conservative guy. Yep. And, you know, Hollywood's a difficult place to be a conservative person. He's sure got a lot of shit for it. Yeah. An awful lot of shit for it. I don't know the man, don't necessarily agree with his politics, but, you know... It's but you should like him because he's a musician. He's got his own band. Yeah, he's a talented dude. <laughs> and, you know, this is one of those situations where you kind of... Um, I know with, you know, liberal progressives and my team... You know, not being able to separate the artist from his beliefs and the whole identity politics bullshit thing. But, you know, it's nice to remember that Gary Sinise is actually a very good actor. Yeah. He's very good. And, yeah, that role was one of his more sinister, you know... It, it, like I was saying earlier, you know, when you come out of it hating the dude. Yeah. You know, it's like the actor has done his job. Right. You know, so, you know, despite his effed up beliefs that I don't agree with... Nod to, nod to Gary Sinise for being the talent that he is. Fair enough. Look at you being all fair and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, tis the season, man. Talk about the gift of the magi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, could be the gift of the... Uh, this year the... for the Christ child, I bring you fairness in reporting. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> could be the gift of the absolute, too. You know? <laughs> that, that brings frankincense to its knees. And <laughs> Does anybody really know what frankincense is? Well, it's just that it's like a little. It's, it's like an aromatic thing. Is that what it is? Myrrh is the one that gets me. I, was I don't say, know what, what the hell myrrh is myrrh. And then gold. Well, yeehaw, everybody yeah, knows that. Yeah, we, we're on that <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> 
Good fun. That, that, that was fun. Good fun. Uh, yeah, because like I said, everybody knows all the, the, the standard favorites. The, the White Christmases, sure. Miracle on 34th Street, on yep. and on and on. Yep. And they've got their place, and they're special. Like you said, all of our little like puppety things. <laughs> up, yeah. up, up to and including Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey, <laughs> yes. which will teach your children about death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking from experience. Anyway. Um, but yeah, they all got their place, so we just chose, as we do here, to take it out a different door. Got it. Now, do speaking it. of taking it out a different door. Yes. It's time for the third gem. I like it. I like it. And, and this, this is one. This is a Johnny call that I wholeheartedly agree with. You jumped right on board with it because, you know, as always, we seek to uh, unite, not divide. Absolutely, on the Riffs and Rants podcast. Yes, we do. And this one, we could uh, we could send out to any number of our loyal listeners, especially little Moira Goldstein out Indeed. in Sioux Indeed. City, Indeed. Iowa. Yeah, and it's a little ditty by comedian Adam Sandler. Yes, called the Hanukkah song. Good fun. Yeah, good, good song, fun. and now a a holiday tradition. Do you get the impression that Adam Sandler is a weird dude? I'm not a huge fan, so I'm going to say weird, yes, and yeah. weird in a way that I don't normally find funny. Yeah. But yet, obviously, there's like a lot of talent there. Yep. So, yep. and Clearly. with this song, I love this song because, yes, they sorely needed uh, a pop song about Hanukkah. Yeah. Because really, that dreidel thing, I mean, I don't know how many verses are to that, but you can only yeah. mix it up so many ways. Yeah. And, uh, and our Jewish friends have taken a lot of shit this year. Yes. They, they it's really been have. a tough year to be a Jew. I, yeah. And I don't think it's warranted. At and, all. Uh, so, yeah, a little nod to, little nod to the Jewish folks. And uh, and some good fun courtesy about it. Uh, Adam Sandler. Definitely. And, and, and on a third tier of that, if playing this song not only shows our support for our, our Jewish brethren... Uh, but enables us to throw up a middle finger towards those who hate, so be it. Yeah, for bullshit <laughs> reasons, I gotta say. And on that note, let us play for you the Hanukkah <laughs> song, and we'll be right back in a couple more minutes with some more things and stuff. Okay. This, uh, this is a song that, uh, there's a lot of Christmas songs out there, and uh, not too many Hanukkah songs, so... Uh, Wrote a, wrote a song for all those nice little Jewish kids who don't get to hear any Hanukkah songs. Here we go. Put on your yarmulke, here comes Hanukkah. So much Hanukkah to celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the festival of lights. Instead of one day of presents, we have eight crazy nights. <laughs> when you feel like the only kid in town without a Christmas tree, here's a list of people who are Jewish, just like you and me. <laughs> Lights the menorah So do James Conkirk Douglas and the late Dinosaurah Guess who eats together At the Carnegie Deli Bowser from Shanana And Arthur Fonzarelli <laughs> Paul Newman's half Jewish Goldie Hawn's half too Put them together What a fine looking Jew 
deck the halls or jingle bell rock Cause you can spin a dreidel with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock Both Jewish Put on your yarmulke It's time for Hanukkah The owner of the Seattle Supersonicas Celebrate Hanukkah O.J. Simpson Not a Jew But guess who is? Hall of Famer Rod Carew. He converted. We got Ann Landers and her sister, dear Abby. Harrison Ford's a quarter Jewish, not too shabby. <laughs> Some people think that Ebenezer Scrooge is. Well, he's not, but guess who is? All three Stooges. It's time to celebrate Hanukkah I hope I get a harmonica On this lovely, lovely Hanukkah So drink your gin and tonica And smoke your marijuana If you really, really want to Have a happy, 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 happy Hanukkah Happy Hanukkah Ah, that was a good laugh. That was a good laugh. <laughs> and like I said, I'm just so glad they have that song because it's, it, it, it's theirs. And everybody yep. needs to celebrate. And maybe someday we'll do a Ramadan song or maybe yeah. we'll do a Kwanzaa song. But for now, Christmas tunes and Hanukkah, we're making progress. Good stuff. Good stuff. That, uh, that of course, was Adam Sandler <laughs> doing the Hanukkah song. Uh, that uh, was first performed on the Weekend Update segment of Saturday Night Live on December 3rd of 1994. Yep, I remember and, seeing it. Yeah, and just to wrap your brain around stuff, that's coming up on 30 years. Oof. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he's, he's done at least four different versions of that song. Uh, the newest version coming, uh, I believe, in 2015. Mm -hmm. uh, it was written uh, with fellow SNL writers uh, Lewis Morton and Ian Maxtone Graham. And, uh, and yeah... You know, coming up on thirty years. Wow! And uh, and he's probably due for another revision of said <laughs> song. And, but none you of the know? revisions have been as good as the original. The original killed it. It absolutely killed it. Yeah, it it hard to top that. And yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. Yeah. You know, um, as many times as he does revise it, that Ooh. original nineteen ninety four version is the one that that really kills it. Yeah. Just, just absolutely kills it. So, props to Adam Sandler. Yep, indeed. Yes, good stuff. Good stuff. Good fun. So, uh, hey, we're uh, we're coming up on our uh, our year end stuff here. Yes, aren't we? and in this year we've kind of gone longer than expected. I mean, we finally started season six a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, at least season five took forever. But um, coinciding as it normally does with our new year, yes. is our. This will be our fourth. Yeah, everything's fourth now. I guess. Yeah, can yeah. we start in August? All right, so everything's fourth. Okay, our fourth annual. Uh, Big Boom Radio Hall of Fame episode. Nice. Where we won up that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in yep. Cleveland. Yep. 
with realistic choices for our indeed, Hall of Fame. Indeed. And we I, always have a lot of fun doing it. Indeed. I got to say, you know, without patting ourselves on the back too much, that's a good party. It's yeah. a really good party. We assemble all the different year. personalities from the station. Yep. Yep. I give them the, the free food and the booze. Maybe this year a little swag. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, double biscuits for director security. Absolutely. Bead. Yep. It's just a good time, and and also nuzzled in there with the uh, the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. nominees, we have uh, the much coveted, really highlight of the year. Yes, the annual piece of shit of the year award. Oh, do I look forward to that? So much fun and so much competition <laughs> this year. I know I that know. is is much more difficult than figuring out what I, nominees I are going to go into the Hall of yeah, Fame. Yeah, long <laughs> long list of nominees for the piece of shit award. Yeah. And we can't repeat any, so breathe easy, Nancy Pelosi and, and <laughs> Megan Rapinoe. Trash. And whoever else my first one was, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's going to be, like I said, somehow coinciding with the New Year's. Yep. We're going to have some reruns between now and then. Maybe even this episode will get rerun. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, yeah, we got to attend to our businesses and our families and all I that did. stuff that happens at the turn of the year. So Here's the season. Yep. Not too much of a lag. Always uh, check out BigBoomRadio.com for any important announcements. And things of that nature. Yep, yep, yep. And let me just say, it, it's been a hell of a year. It's been a long year. Oh, man, has it ever. But we came through it. Yeah, we're still standing. Yeah, we're still so standing. No complaints on that aspect. And I got to say, the Big Boom Radio audience is growing. It is. It, uh, you know, without, again, without, you know, patting ourselves on the back. Well, I think um, at this point we kind of can. Can we? As, as we're steadily approaching 14,000 downloads. Yeah. That's either a lot of bored people, <laughs> a lot of first timers <laughs> that don't know how, like, downloading works. And right. Just, right. I, I don't know. Well, with my crew, I think it's a lot of people that are smoking some really good weed this time of the year in particular. With your people, probably. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and for mine, clearly, it's those who enjoy superlative intellectual stimulation. Absolutely. Uh, and Shakespeare in the Park. And, and a and wee bit of snark. Yeah, wee bit. Shakespeare in the Park and a wee bit of snark. So hey, a little poetry for you there, yeah. Johnny. So as we end this episode from the holiday season, yeah. I, I believe you got a personal special gift for all it of your is, listeners. It, it is uh, <laughs> a, a gift to aforementioned uh, growing audience of uh, Riffs and Rants and, uh, of course, Big Boom Radio. Um, a song that is near and dear to my heart, which, you know, if you've listened to more than five minutes of any episode, <laughs> probably isn't going to be a shock to anybody. This is a 19, or a, I should say, a classic from 1977, a song written from the perspective of a mall Santa uh, getting the shit beat out of him by a bunch of working class kids. <laughs> I am, of course, referring to the Kinks' absolute Christmas classic, Father Christmas. And there you go. And that's just from Michael Sean Lee to all of you out there Indeed. in the winter wonderland. And uh, that's it. So, as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I am Michael Sean Lee. Merry Christmas, everybody, and we'll see you next year.
Please hand it over. We'll beat you up, so don't make. 